In week chapter 1, uh, we saw that John the baptizer kind of announced the one that's coming after him, one that's going to be so much greater, um, the one that we've all been waiting for. Uh, the, the, and this would be God Almighty, you know, actually God walking among the people. He is here. And then in week two, we looked at verses 9 to 13, and the big idea there was that uh, he is real. Jesus is real. The good news is real. And uh, we saw that Jesus, when he, when he did come, rather than you know, starting his ministry by baptizing others or overseeing John's ministry, he actually comes, and in this radical act of identifying with us as humanity, rather than baptize, he asks John to baptize him. And he wades into that dirty river, and he's baptized. And uh, by doing that, he's counting himself among the sinners. He's saying, I'm one of them. I'm like you. I'm, I am man. And then the Spirit well, just before that, you see the Spirit come on him like a dove, and he receives the Father's affirmation. And then the Spirit leads him out into the desert, where he prays and fasts for 40 days before he encounters Satan. Um, and he's very easily actually able to resist the temptation uh, of the enemy. Then we see after that, Jesus calling his first disciples. And we see how they, uh, they put down everything and they follow him. And he, he goes and he finds ordinary men, fishermen. You know, these are not qualified, super intelligent. I mean, they might have been intelligent, we don't know. But he just chooses ordinary men and he says, come and follow me. And they put down everything and immediately they follow him. And Richard challenged us around that. He said, you know, how, um, how committed are we to actually following Jesus? You know, are we just fans, you know, happy to be like, you know, observers, happy to be associated with him, but we, we don't actually follow him? Or are we actually following him, going when he, where he goes and doing what he does. Um, and then last week we heard from Stefan, and that's this last little pin, he is powerful. We started to see Jesus' ministry take off. He starts, to, he starts to preach and he starts to heal, and there's something completely different about his ministry. When he talks, it's, he, he comes with authority and with power. He's not like the you know, other scribes and religious kind of preachers. There's something different about this teacher. Um, and his teaching is, is accompanied by these powerful deliverances of people from demons and from sickness. And our topic today from um, the last 11 verses of Mark chapter 1 is the good news is personal. So if you could turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. We're going to read it all at once. I've got my smallest Bible here, so I'm going to do my very best. So we see Jesus preaches in Galilee, and rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons." And then there's this portion where Jesus cleanses a leper. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it 
to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Can I pray for us? So Lord God, we, we pray that as we uh, look deeper into your word, your word that is alive and active, your word that's not passive, your word that is saying something to us today, we pray that your, your Holy Spirit would come here and would just inspire us, would open our ears, and that our hearts would just be filled with, with compassion, uh, just like you had compassion for that leper, Lord Jesus, and that as a result of today's message, that we would go back, we'd go out into the city, this great city of Cape Town, and we'd go and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so there's two parts to this message. Um, as we've seen, there's this first half where we see Jesus choo- choosing solitude and prayer while he's on mission. And then the second half, we see this incredible outpouring of compassion of Jesus on this uh, leper. So just let's have a quick look at the first half. Um, in verses 35 to 37, I'm just going to read them again. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched, him, searched for him. And they found him and said to him, said to him, everyone is looking for you. And what's happening here is it's, it's quite interesting, especially when you consider like what's just happened before last week, uh, what's preceded this moment. We've, Jesus has gathered his disciples. He's starting to preach in this surprisingly powerful way. All sorts of things are taking place. Uh, Jesus' ministry is starting to gain momentum. Uh, the disciples who decided to follow him, it's probably starting to look like, hey, probably a good decision. You know, this is not just an ordinary man. Like it's, you know, the decision starting to pay off. Uh, and the crowd wants more. The crowd is, 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 is hungry. The crowd has experienced Jesus' teaching and his healing and he wants more. And this is really his, there's momentum to this. This is his moment to capitalize. You know, this is, if he was planting a mega church, you know, now's the time to put the foot down on the accelerator. This is the time, you know, to really go and grow the following. It's a bit like, uh, I love boxing. I don't know if, yeah, I probably am allowed to like boxing, but I love, it's very violent sometimes, and UFC. And I, I know that the moment the guy wins the fight, the moment the victor, you know, makes it, he has to, he calls out his next competitor. He wants to say like, okay, this is where I'm going. This is the moment to capitalize. It's like these singing competitions, X Factor and all of that. The moment you win, you must put together an album and hopefully that album will become, you know, Christmas number one. If you're building a career, if you're building a ministry, then this would be the time for Jesus to, to go for it, you know, to preach more, to heal more, and to, you know, to do kind of more of the same. Um, but what's quite interesting, what does Jesus do? He kind of, he, he disappears. He, he, he seems to prioritize solitude and prayer. You know, and this kind of takes his followers and the crowds by surprise. You know, rather than finding, you know, a bigger stage, a bigger pulpit, a place where more people, a bigger door, where, you know, more people can come, he rather chooses to withdraw to a, a quiet, desolate place where no one can find him. And what does he do there? He prays. He prays. He prioritizes solitude and prayer. And it's, it's not actually the first time we've seen him do this in, in, in chapter 1. Remember what happened straight after his baptism. His, the, he goes out into the desert where he prays and fasts for 40 days, you know, privately, on, on his own, with the Holy Spirit, uh, and he does that for 40 days before he confronts Satan. 
on the day that he finally arrives, you know, the good news is here, he leaves everyone and heads out into the desert. On the day that his ministry is just taking off and people want more and he's being recognized, rather he prioritizes solitude and prayer. And so why, why is there this pattern of prayer and solitude kind of hardwired into Jesus' life and ministry? You know, you could be tempted to think, did he, did he really need solitude? You know, did he really need to recharge you know, wasn't he all powerful? You know, is there, Jesus, of, if, of, if, you know, I can understand why we might need it, but did Jesus really need solitude? Did he really need to pray? And if you've heard me preach before, you'll know that look, one of my kind of favorite doctrines, or it's more of a mystery to me actually than a doctrine, is this, what theologians call the hypostatic union. It's this idea that the eternal God became fully man. Uh, he became fully human in, in one man, Jesus Christ. And he had to be, you know, for the, for the cross to actually work. Last time I preached, I mentioned he had to be both fully God and fully man for the cross to actually work. If he was, if he was only divine, if he was only God, um, he would not be able to represent us. He wouldn't be able to say, I'm one of you. You know, I'm dying on behalf of mankind he wouldn't be able to take the penalty that is due us. But because he identified with us, because he became one of us, because he took our sin onto him, he was able to go there and say, I'll be the sacrifice. I'll do it for you. And if he was, if he was only a man, if he wasn't divine, then his sacrifice, it wouldn't have been valuable enough. It would have just been some guy claiming to be the son of man, you know, just dying there. The sacrifice wasn't precious enough, wasn't perfect, wasn't spotless, wasn't of a high enough value. And uh, the resurrection after three days confirmed Jesus' divinity. And, uh, and in that moment, he defeated death for us too. And Philippians 2 verse 6 to 7 tells us that he, he emptied himself to become like us. And I'll read it. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he, he put aside his, many of his attributes. You know, he was no longer uh, omnipresent. He was no longer present everywhere, but he squeezed, squeezed into this frame of a human. You know, he became flesh. He was in that one place, and he limited his omniscience. This is the, God's attribute of knowing everything. You know, he, Jesus the man, he limited his knowledge for that time, and he limited his omnipotence. So he didn't have, he wasn't all-powerful. The power that he used here on earth, he received that from the Father through the Holy Spirit. And that's why he had to be fully reliant on the Spirit's power. So he laid aside these many attributes and walked as a man dependent on the Holy Spirit. And he did this to demonstrate to us Life in the Spirit, what life is meant to be lived like, what a Christ follower's life, how dependent on God we're meant to live. And so we see that his whole lifestyle was infused with, with prayer and with fellowship with his Father. That's why we see him constantly withdrawing, constantly finding time to pray, and sometimes even praying all night. He's actually modeling something to us, something that we that's, that's how we're supposed to live, fully reliant and dependent on the Holy Spirit. He's, he's not doing this to clock up hours. You know, it's not because this, this is a good thing to do. It's a spiritual discipline. 
you know, it's the right thing to do. Uh, others that, you know, are doing it, I should do the same. Rather, he was seeking to remain in constant fellowship with his father. And he was receiving the Holy Spirit's empowering for mission. And we desperately need that for ourselves too. And so why do, you, why do we struggle with, to prioritize prayer and solitude? I mean, I'm, I know I do. Maybe I'm just answering for myself. But I, I kind of find it difficult to, to actually prioritize solitude, you know, and to, often to prioritize prayer. And I think there's, there's kind of many reasons. We, you know, there's the busyness of life. You know, we live in a culture where, where being busy is glorified. You know, it's very, very glorified. You know, if you ask someone on Monday morning even, how was your weekend? Oh, busy. You ask them, someone on Saturday morning, how was your week? It was busy. You ask someone, you know, for over coffee, how was your week? It's always kind of busy. And we live in this world where, like, you know, fast is good and slow is bad. You know, if you go to a restaurant and, you know, the, the meal was not great, the service wasn't good, what do you say? Oh, it was slow. You know, the service was, the service was slow. Um, it's true, though. Fast is good, slow is kind of bad. You know, faster, faster equals better. And there's a, a great quote that I'll read from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, written by a guy, a guy called John Ortberg. Pay attention to this one. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. Again and again, as we pursue the spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For many of us, the great danger is not that we renounce our faith, it's that we become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Wow, isn't that quite a sobering thought? Um, and for some of us, it could be that the, you know, the, the, the voices, the other voices out there or the voice of the crowd is, is just too loud in our heads. You know, the moment we withdraw, the moment we put things down, the moment we stop doing things, the moment we stop being so-called productive, you know, the moment it looks like we're like indulging ourselves, uh, you know, the voices can say to us, like, where, where are you? We've been looking for you. You know, what have you been doing? And if you're on, you, you feel you can't give the answer, I've been pursuing solitude and prayer. You know, in our culture, it's just people would not really kind of understand it. But this is what Jesus did. And that's probably the criticism he would have received, you know, when they were looking for him. It was, is where is he? Those voices will say, you know, you can do that later. You can do that, you know, at the end of the day. You can do that while, you know, when the work is done. And I always come back to that, that Bible story of Mary and Martha in chapter 10 of Luke and you've got these two sisters, uh, you know, who open their home to Jesus and these two different kind of approaches. So Martha, uh, you know, she gets busy. She gets, goes straight into the kitchen. She's preparing. She's, she's, doing, she's doing really, really good things. Um, and then there's Mary who simply sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to the wisdom of Christ. Now, that's fine, you know, like both are important. I don't think what Mary was doing was wrong. But she, the problem in the story is that she... In her heart, she's not happy with Mary. You know, she actually comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by herself? And Jesus' response to her is not like, oh, you shouldn't be cooking, you should come here. Rather, he just says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. 
So sometimes, you know, we play to the crowd, you know, rather than playing to Jesus, rather than going where he's calling us, rather than finding him where he's to be found. We rather listen to the voice of the crowd telling us where they think we should be. And I think often our priorities are just completely messed up in completely the wrong order. You know, we don't really sometimes know where the value in life is, where we should actually be, be investing and, 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 and what we should actually be celebrating. And I love the story of, there's a parable Jesus told about the pearl of great value in Matthew 13, verse 45 and 47. And he's, he, he, he speaks about this pearl like this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that, he had, all that he had and bought it. Until we understand the incredible value of this kingdom, the, the value of the king. And unless we see how precious this offer of friendship with God is, things like personal prayer and, and solitude, they come to, sometimes come to us or seem to us like, like kind of optional extras or duties. But the merchant in this story, he prizes the king and the kingdom above all things. And then his, all the other priorities kind of fall in line when we do that. Um, so I think for us, often prayer, fasting, finding solitude, these things, they can seem like you know, additional things to add to our to-do lists. You know, it's another slot in the diary. It's creating another reminder, setting another alarm. And I, I want to suggest that actually Jesus, he, he models something way more radical, through, through this pursuit of solitude and, and prayer, rather than you know, doing additional things, he's actually unplugging. You know, he's actually doing less. You know, he's not trying to cram more in. Um, he's doing less. And then as a result of being bathed in this prayer and solitude, uh, we see how, effect, how much more effective his ministry is at other times. Um, so I hope when you hear me talking about prayer and solitude, I, I really d- don't hear me encouraging you to do more, to get more busy, to you know, add something more to your diary. I'm actually suggesting it replaces a lot of things in your diaries. You know, that's, I'm, I'm actually suggesting something more radical. And I think for us, especially like in this day and age, I mean, we're a generation with digital and our digital world. I mean, we're like semi-humanoid. You know, we, we've got this thing, it's actually like a, it's like a brain. You know, we don't, we, it, it's like, we want to know anything, we can just punch it into Google. We don't even have to kind of think. We want to calculate something, we put it into you know, a calculator. And I think for us in this digital age, man, there's a call to solitude and to prayer that's, that's kind of even more uh, important. We, we, the, through uh, our smartphones and all the screen time and all of this, we're filling our lives with so much clutter, and so much frivolous, frivolous stuff. And th- these are even some things that people in previous ages didn't have to uh, put up with. And I, I just want to encourage you to consider, um, it's not something you find in the Bible, but something that I've found super helpful recently. My company did a digital detox. And uh, the deal with, with all the staff members was, if you hand in your phone on a Thursday night, so it went in my drawer, all my staff's phones, with the SIM card in, uh, if you hand in your phone on a Thursday night, you can have Friday off as an extra day of holiday, um, and you only get your phone back on Monday. And it was, it was quite an interesting kind of social experiment, because I saw how hooked we are, you know, some of my colleagues are, and myself, actually, start with me, 
how hooked we are on our phones and how hooked we are on that clutter and all the stuff in there. And only about half of the people could actually do it. You know, some people thought, even though there's a whole day of holiday left over, people were just like, that's doff. I, I can't do without my phone. Um, and, and for myself, it was, like, it was like weaning myself off it. But by not having it, I re- there was so much additional space in my life. It was, I just found myself picking up the Bible, picking up a book, um, you know, talking to God when there's not the constant stream of WhatsApp and all the others, um, you know, Facebook and the endless scroll and Instagram and all of this stuff. Man, if, with all of that, solitude and prayer in your life have a very, they've got, there's not space for it. Um, and yeah, so I don't want to demonize technology either. I think there's some great things about technology we can use, you know, to have a Bible on our phone that we can find the verse straight away, always on us. That's absolutely awesome. Um, but I think we should, we should be conscious. We need to f- use our phones in a way more conscious. I'm going a bit off topic here, but I feel strongly about it, is that we should use, we can, there are actually things like screen time. You can limit your screen time on your phone. Turn your phone to, to gray, to black and white. You'll see the endorphins don't hit your head as hard, so you don't find yourself looking at your phone all the time when it's in, in kind of black and white. Um, and then also use it for the very positive things. I was at, had, a, had a super busy week this week. I was at Design in Darba, and I found myself with like half an hour to spare because I got there super early, and I was able to just put my headphones on and find a window looking at Table Mountain, you know, and just listen to worship music and just praise God. So I think t- technology is, it's not unspiritual. I think everything's spiritual. It's just really how uh, we use it. But getting back to our passage, what, let's see what, how Jesus responds uh, to Simon when he tells them, everyone is looking for you. And then he said to them in verse 38, let us go let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Interesting, who's looking for Jesus yet? It's his disciples and the people and the crowds that have heard him the previous day. But Jesus, instead of going back there, instead of going back to that crowd, to yesterday's ministry success, rather he goes, chooses to go to the people that don't know about him. He says, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. And so we see Jesus, he's prioritizing his mission. He's here to seek and save the lost. He's here to reveal his love to everyone. He's not trying to keep it exclusive with a particular you know, group of people or a particular area. And he's not waiting for the crowds to come to him either. Rather, he's going to go and find them where they're at. He goes out and finds them like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. And that brings us to the, the kind of second half of the passage and this amazing uh, encounter with the leper. So reading from verse 40, I think try and find yourself in the story. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, 
but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is, a, this is one of those stories where you could just, you know, go through it. Interesting. Jesus healed a leper. What's, what's happening next? There's so many interesting things happening here. It's an incredibly powerful story. So I don't want to, I just want to go, you know, if uh, hurry and fast is not as good as we think it is, let's kind of slow down here and go a little bit deeper. I'm not going to rush to the end of my preach. Andre always says, don't rush to the end of the preach. Take your time. Um, so I'm going to do that. So here we have this a leper, and this is a, a man with an incurable and highly contagious uh, skin condition. And it was, would have been very difficult to live with because uh, you had a, you'd have a lot of physical discomfort. You know, they say leprosy was probably like uh, a word for a whole category of kind of skin illnesses. But all those illnesses where, you know, there's a lot of, could be like boils, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, discoloration on your flesh, all kinds of sores, all kinds of things oozing. You know, this, is, this guy had a very, very uncomfortable physical discomfort, but he would also have had to suffer from social isolation. You know, it was considered uh, in those times both a, a physical and spiritual disease because people would have assumed that you've got this because of the result of sin in your life. You know, this is just the manifestation of something that you've done wrong uh, in the past. And also, you know, in religious circles, you'd be considered ceremonially unclean because of the Old Testament law. You would have been, you know, ostracized and separated from community. You know, our, our own uh, Robin Island for a period um, operated as a leper colony. And that gives you an idea of when people had leprosy up until even very recent times, the idea was, man, Get them as far away as possible. You know, these guys shouldn't be able to just, you know, come themselves. Let's have a nice big body of water between us and them. And so this man would have lived with a, a deep sense of shame and, and total unworthiness. You know, and he would have also had to, he would have suffered from unbearable loneliness every day. So people that, when his skin condition was good, we don't know, but you can assume that the people that would have associated with him, friends, family, etc., when his skin was okay, you know, those guys had long disappeared. They wouldn't want to be associated with him, and they definitely wouldn't want to catch um, what he had, which is, by the way, 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 way worse than coronavirus, which you know, our media is just going crazy about. But this, was, this would have been pretty unbearable conditions. And I think, I, I know I can, and many of us here can relate to what it feels like you know, in periods of our life, or maybe even still to live with a sense of shame. You know, we know what it, it feels like to experience shame for the, the wrong things we've done in the past, the things that we, know, we acknowledge are our fault. Um, you know, shame for the things where maybe, you know, things that happened where you didn't play an active role, but you kind of stood on the sidelines. You know, you didn't do anything. You didn't speak up. You didn't say anything. You feel, you feel ashamed for that. Uh, and then there's also like shame kind of leaks. You know, sometimes we can feel shame from things that happen to us, you know, where we shouldn't feel shame. Um, and so I think like this idea of, you know, we can identify with, with this idea of feeling shame. And um, incredibly, Jesus, who's, we've just heard is on mission, you know, he's had his break, he's recharged, he's, he's bathed himself in solitude and prayer, he's getting back on the road, he's now going to preach in the synagogues, you know, he's going back to find new crowds to spread his message to. Incredibly, Jesus considers it worthy to stop, you know, focusing on the crowd and to focus on just this one man, to focus on this individual 
leper. And it's interesting to see what happens next. You know, the leper's on his knees and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. So he's obviously heard about Jesus' powerful teachings and he's not questioning, questioning Jesus' ability. You know, he's seen other people be healed. But rather he's questioning Jesus' willingness to do this for him. You know, he's saying, Jesus, I know you're able, but will you do it for me? Am I worthy? You know, do you want to? Is it actually your desire? You know, do you think, when you look at me, it's a good idea to heal me? And amazingly, Jesus is moved with pity. Or in other translations, he's moved with compassion. He stretches out his hand and touches him and says to him, I will be clean. Now, other translations say Jesus was indignant. That's like uh, his response to this guy saying, like, if you know, if you want to, you can heal me. Jesus, like, he's indignant. He's like, of course I want to. It's, it's a kind of an interesting uh, discussion around the interpretation there from the tribe. Some say, you know, he's moved with compassion and pity. Some say indignant. But I can see how both work. You know, Jesus is so full of compassion and so full of pity that he's indignant that this man is even questioning his willingness, and his, Jesus' response is immediate. He's moved with pity and compassion for the man, and he reaches out straight away and gives him the healing that he's asked for. I don't know what the leper thought his chances were at the start of the conversation, but I think he would have been surprised by two things. And the one is the speed of Jesus' response. There's no hesitation. You know, he, this confirms to us not only God's ability and his power to heal, but also his willingness. He wants to heal. God is not reluctant when it comes to healing. And secondly, the fact that Jesus actually touched him. You know, this is a man who probably hasn't been touched for years. And there would have been all sorts of ramifications to Jesus touching this man. You know, Jesus would be discrediting his own ministry because in the eyes of those watching, he's touching something that's unclean. He's allowing that uncleanliness to come onto him. So, you know, this, he wouldn't have even needed to touch the man, actually. I'm sure he could have healed him without touching, but he chooses in that moment to touch this man, something the man hadn't felt probably for a long, long, long time. And so I'd love us just to slow down even more, and if I can ask you to close your eyes. And just yeah, try and ignore the people around you. Take a few deep breaths. Try and like isolate yourself. Try and find solitude even though there's someone next to you. And just imagine that you are the leper in the story. It's another beautiful sunny day in Galilee. People are playing. Families are dipping in the sea. There's a nice, cool, salty sea breeze that everyone's enjoying. But actually, that same salty sea breeze is only causing your skin to crawl and to itch even more. You feel the tiredness from another night of broken sleep because your skin condition doesn't allow you to be very comfortable for long at all. And you're also mentally tired because you spend hours and hours thinking of ways to try and cure yourself, but nothing you've tried over the years has worked. You've tried all the advice and suggestions, but nothing's working. 
you carry a, a deep sense of guilt and shame. You think of all the bad things you've done in the past, and you accept that you may have brought this condition upon yourself, but how can you make things right? What can you do? And then in the distance, you see Jesus, this powerful teacher and healer, and he's actually approaching you. And you start to adjust your clothing. You try to cover over the worst parts of your skin outbreaks and and sores. There's a whole lot of things you definitely don't want him to see about you. And a small part of you is feeling, this could be my chance for healing. So in the panic, you start to think about, what can I offer him in exchange for my healing? And nothing comes to mind. All that does is remind you of your poverty and emptiness. Your hands are empty and you have nothing to offer him. He draws up close to you and you know he is able to heal you, but would he want to? Why would he want to? And the only words you manage to blurt out as you fall to your knees at his feet are, If you want to, you can make me clean. And expecting him to rebuke you like everyone else and just hurry along, instead you feel something you haven't felt in many, many years. Jesus is touching you, and you hear the beautiful words from his mouth, I do want to be clean. And this revelation that you're an object of his love and compassion floods your mind. And in that instant, you feel the leprosy leaving you and his cleanliness filling your entire body, every pore of your skin. And you start to touch yourself. You start to feel your beautiful, smooth, soft skin and every trace of the disease is gone. And at the same time, all the guilt and shame seems to evaporate, never to return, and such relief and joy fills your heart. You can open your eyes. I just want to, bear with me while I put this on. That's what the kids are going to get today. It's hashtag, he loves me. And can you see how, how personal the good news was for this man? You know, this, this story illustrates what it feels like to experience Christ's cleansing from all our sin and shame. And it's because of his, his great love for us on the cross that Jesus took the full extent of our uncleanness Onto himself. Every sin, every wound, every piece of brokenness and shame he put on himself because he loves us. And we're unable to bring anything of worth to him, but he has compassion on us. He heals us of the filth in our own hearts, something that we are unable to do. 
for ourselves. We're objects of his compassion. He loves us. And it's not just a generic kind of good news, you know, good news that's generally true. But it's a good news and a love that is deeply personal. And just a final kind of observation as we come to the end of this chapter. Interestingly, you know, it's, it's weird. This man actually goes and he disobeys Jesus. <laughs> it's like he's just received his healing. And Jesus says, Jesus, basically Jesus isn't ready, you know, for everyone to know. You know, he's wanting to just kind of operate under the radar for a bit and spread his message. And he says to this man, look, don't go and tell everyone. Just go and tell the people who've been working with you, um, you know, so that they know. And what does he do? He can't help himself. You know, he just disobeys. Um, you know, he doesn't, he's not a perfect follower of Jesus, but this good news is so real and so true to him that he can't help but just go and tell everyone. And that's also a beautiful picture in, this, in the sense that Jesus and this leper have swapped places. Because, you know, beforehand, this leper had to be, you know, on the outside, in the desolate place, away from everyone. Um, but because of the leper's disobedience, you know, now Jesus is the one that has to be on the outside. And that's just another beautiful, it's a picture of an exchange. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's another picture of the cross kind of doing this amazing swap. And amazingly, all of us here, um, and as, as Christ follows, we're called to be the personal recipients of Jesus' compassion. And then also, not just the recipients, but the givers of compassion to the world around us. And unlike that leper, you know, we're not restricted. You know, it's not post the cross. Actually, we're encouraged and we're instructed, you know, to go and tell and to go and tell this good news and to go and tell our personal uh, story, our personal good news story to those around us. And that, that's our mission at Common Ground Weinberg. Let's continue to fill the city with the message, the life, and the fame of Jesus Christ but just my last kind of thing is, let's also remember that the fuel we need for that mission is to be found in the same place that Jesus found it. It's to be found in the place of solitude and prayer. Great. Let's stand and just close with a song of celebration and show thanking God. I just love what... Um, you know, all that Ryan said, and there's also one thing which left me with the question is, what is it that I have to unplug? I think maybe it's a question that you have to answer for yourself. You know, it's, there's stuff that we need to unplug and uh, so that you can prioritize other things. And it's, I think it left me with a lot of questions. What are the things that I need to prioritize? What are the things that I need to unplug? And so that I can prioritize these two things. Very, very great message. So let's join the band as we um, celebrate. Um, we close in celebration with, with song. Then I'll give us some few. You don't, have to, you don't have to rush after the songs. We can sit down and give us some few announcements.